Despite Dr. Johnson's powerful invective to reach huge audiences around the world on television and in person. Since the 18th century, opera has been a popular entertainment in most of Europe, particularly in Italy, Germany and France. But in the United States, many people seem to have resisted opera's attractions until fairly recently. In fact, many Americans once considered opera an exotic, irrational entertainment reserved for snobbish and wealthy clientele who lived in world capitals like New York. But now, opera companies have sprung up in Boston, Chicago, New Orleans, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Manchester and Tokyo, as well as many smaller and less well-known cities around the world. With the Metropolitan Opera's Live from the Met television series, the Chirot-directed Ring Cycle from Bayreuth and frequent simulcasts from Vienna's Staatsoper or Milan's La Scala, opera can even be considered a staple of television, if not yet a competitor with the soaps for the top Nielsen ratings. Opera has truly become a popular international art form. The most artificial of the arts. Why does this ancient and most artificial of arts continue to attract growing audiences? because opera entertains them in a special way. For example, in Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor, a woman goes insane, yet she manages to sing a fiendishly difficult aria studied with several high Cs. In Wagner's Götterdammerung, a man is stabbed in the back, but his death is delayed until he has sung a long farewell to life. In Puccini's Tosca, when a woman is being threatened with rape, the villain stops his pursuit of her while she sings a long prayer to her heavenly and earthly audience. What could be more contrived than these scenes? Yet they have worked for many years, and they still work, as grand entertainment, because they reach the soul. With its special artifice, opera captures our imaginations and allays all protests, a sublime operatic music moves us to believe in its dramatic situations. Of course, there are skeptics, those non-initiates who sneer about fat sopranos, preening tenors and silly plots. The truth is greater than they know, for opera can touch the soul as few arts can when the audience is receptive to its magic. One proof is found in history. Opera is an old art form. Its roots go back to ancient Greek culture, that wellspring of Western civilization that also cultivated architecture, philosophy, sculpture, drama, literature, and even democracy. Small wonder that even though most opera was composed in Europe, an American audience feels comfortable with opera's artistic heritage. A second proof of opera's appeal is less in its lineage than in the experience it provides for the audience that wishes to understand and enjoy it. The Combination Art Form Unlike musical concerts or drama, opera combines several arts in a unique way. When one attends a concert, the ears may be filled with sound and the mind fully engaged with unsuspected harmonies, but nothing much happens to satisfy the eyes. At a concert, eyes tend to wander from the conductor to the soloists, orchestra players, and even to other members of the audience. Throughout the performance, the ear and spirit may be fulfilled, but the eye is not. When one attends the theatre, on the other hand, the eye may be riveted to the stage in fascination and the mind stimulated, but nothing much happens musically, except, of course, at a musical comedy. 
Some dramatists write their plays in verse, but the musical effects that language alone produces are pretty meagre when contrasted to the sounds of an orchestra. Among the arts, only opera combines the best musical possibilities of the orchestra and magnificent voices with the visual, dramatic and intellectual excitement of the theatre. All these elements melt into extraordinary entertainment and the audience can be engaged totally. Richard Wagner called opera the Gesamtkunstwerk, the combination artwork, and this fact of combination more than any other accounts for opera's uniqueness. Moreover, the scope of artistry is practically unlimited, since opera combines all the arts, ballet in many operas, painting and sculpture in the sets and properties, theatre, poetry, sometimes history, and, of course, music. Yet outside of opera, theatre and music have sometimes seemed to be natural enemies. The playwright scoffs, Music slows down the action of a play, it's too abstract. Can the immediacy of an actor's haughty drop dead transfer effectively into a progression of chords or a melody? To these charges the composer replies, Can the concrete words possibly work with the most abstract and spiritual of arts, music? Can a lovely melody be sung to words in a particular dramatic situation and still qualify as great music? Opera answers yes to both. An operatic genius not only combines words and music, but combines them in a uniquely effective way. In truth, opera can create effects that are ravishingly beautiful, dramatically significant and personally meaningful. No other art form does as much. For example, in a famous dramatic monologue during the first act of Strauss's De Rosenkavalier, the Marshalin tells her young lover, Octavian, about her fear of growing old. Sometimes she says she gets up in the middle of the night to stop the ticking of her bedroom clock, and at that moment the ticking sounds from the orchestra stop. We instantly perceive the meaning of her nocturnal wanderings as she seeks to stop time. We understand her fear of the relentlessness of time, and we realize that we too are growing old. Here, an apparently artificial combination of words and music gives the opera its unique power to entertain, fascinate, and drive its meaning home. Opera and characterization. Language and music together can do what neither could do alone. This unique combination creates both dramatic insight and musical beauty, an instant understanding of character or situation that no other art form can achieve. Thus, in the first act of Wagner's Tristan und Isolde, Isolde hates Tristan, but even while she sings of her hatred, the orchestra plays love music. Here, the orchestra tells us that she really loves Tristan, at a moment when even Isolde herself does not recognize her love. Can one create such an immediate and paradoxical effect with words alone? No. But an interaction of words with music can, just as the human mind itself creates paradox in us. The simultaneous wedding of love and hatred in Tristan und Isolde suggests that hatred is a powerful complex emotion with which at least some love is often mixed. In Tristan und Isolde, Wagner described this very human truth some 50 years before Sigmund Freud first wrote about it. Verdi also uses music to characterize his people, often even before they speak, in the overtures to his works.
His overture to Aida uses musical themes to portray the character of Aida, and the fragility of the music, orchestrated primarily with violins, suggests Aida's fragility. For her, life is just too hard, too complicated, too conflicted, too dangerous. Such a weak person might welcome death, as Aida herself does before the end of the opera. Although theatre alone could create scenes to communicate this, it would take several scenes at least, while Verdi portrays Aida's character instantly with the music of his overture. In his opera Otello, Verdi presents Otello as a direct military man, easily trapped by Iago's subtle civilian wiles. Martial brass music singles out Otello as the decisive general, a man who acts in terms of friends or foes, winning or losing. His personality is instantly portrayed by his music. In Turandot, Puccini's Princess Turandot, an icy and neurotic woman, comes instantly and fully alive in the music of her first aria, In Questa Regia. A high-pitched trumpet-like music accompanies her voice and helps to describe her experience with men as it instantly communicates injury, fear, and vindictive hatred. Yet the aria is not only dramatically appropriate for the character, it is exciting and beautiful in its own right. So too Puccini's complicated mini in La Fanciulla del West, comes alive through both rhythmically lively music and quiet, sad arias. Puccini everywhere creates human complexity with both text and music, thereby bringing his fascinating characters to life for the audience. Opera and Dramatic Situation Wagner's Ring Cycle fully illustrates the uniqueness of opera, especially in its use of music and language to create foreshadowing and intensely dramatic situations. Wagner's music foreshadows the tragic end of the vast tetralogy in a uniquely operatic way. When Hagen welcomes Siegfried to the Hall of the Gibichungs during the first act of Götterdammerung, the composer employs the curse motif telling us instantly that this happy welcome will result in Siegfried's murder by his seemingly hospitable hosts. The eventual horror of Siegfried's murder is communicated not only through the actual murder on stage, but also through the power and grief conveyed by the funeral music just after the murder. Could spoken theatre do all this? Could music alone communicate so much? Together they can, at least when music and theatre are combined by a genius. This unique power we see again in the simple chords that accompany the opening of Otello's final monologue before he takes his life in Act 4 in Verdi's opera. These sad chords tell us about a world of tragedy so rich that words or situations alone could not convey it. Or when Tristan and Isolde sing of their love and the fateful union that results from that love, the music weaves from melody to melody and key to key in a way that is not only dramatically meaningful, but also intoxicatingly beautiful. These dramatic situations are more than beautiful. They are dramatically effective, because they are reinforced and supplemented by the power of the music. But opera is not always intense drama and profound meaning. It can also be fun and gags. Opera is Verdi's Sir John in Falstaff, singing in Act 3 a comic parody of early Verdi opera's fondness for the words Mezzanotte, Midnight. 
opera is also Rosina, in Rossini is the Barber of Seville, who playfully boasts early in that opera that she will easily outsmart her possessive half-witted old guardian, which she does. Opera is also Zerbinetta in Strauss's Ariadne auf Naxos, poking fun at serious opera itself with its sombre tone and fat sopranos. Again, opera is Leporello in Mozart's Don Giovanni, laughing about how easy it is for the Don to seduce thousands of silly, lecherous women. Opera is also Despina in Mozart's Così fan tutte, singing about how fickle men can be when in an amorous mood. So comedy as much as tragedy lends itself to opera's most compelling dramatic situations, and the results could be magical in both cases. Opera and its tradition. Opera inherited its basic nature from the theatre and has evolved from centuries of theatrical tradition. Yet opera remains enticingly human. For example, French court politics determined the failure of Wagner's Tannhauser at its Paris premiere on March the 13th, 1861. Arturo Toscanini's affair with the opera's leading soprano, Rosina Storchio, provided the main cause for Madame Butterfly's disastrous premiere at La Scala on February the 17th, 1904. On the other hand, Verdi's Aida was commissioned by the Khedive Ismail Pasha of Egypt for Cairo's new opera house, and the opera provided an immediate triumph at its Egyptian premiere on Christmas Eve, 1871. Another fascinating chapter in the law of opera as theatre is the traditional superstition held by some singers that Verdi's La Forza del Destino is an unlucky opera, a superstition confirmed by Leonard Warren's death on stage during a performance of that opera at the Met on March the 4th, 1960. In Italy, singers often will pick up a bent nail from backstage before they go on stage, a bent nail being a sign of good luck. In Germany, at Wagner's Bayreuth Festival, it is customary for the audience to eat sausages between acts. At the Baths of Caracalla in Rome, between acts of summer opera performances, vendors come down the aisles to sell ice cream, caramels and beer and soda, just as at an American baseball game. It is customary not to applaud after the first act of Wagner's Parsifal, and it is also traditional for opera singers to take bows after each act for most operas. Some opera houses have traditions for formal dress in some parts of the house, while other houses have audiences that traditionally dress informally. Opera's fascination includes its varying traditions.